We are in Matthew chapter 7, going to start at verse 1. We're continuing our series, Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus Christ, trying to develop beautiful attitudes, playing off the term Beatitudes. And that's what Jesus is teaching us all through here. And it's interesting to show us the mind of Jesus because as you read this, you may not really feel like he's teaching you how to be a beautiful person because some of the teachings are deep. Some of them are difficult. Some of them are challenging. But Jesus knows, and all through the Scripture, he's trying to get over to us what is important is man's heart. And we are taught that it is out of the heart comes the, the result of man. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. And a beautiful heart yields beauty in other person's lives. And so we're continuing that study, talking about to judge or not to judge. Jesus talks about that. It's something we talk about a lot. And uh, the apologies to William Shakespeare is is borrowing his uh, title, style. But let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to read the first six verses, first five verses, excuse me. And Jesus starts out, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, one thing I've experienced in life, I don't know if you have, maybe you can tell me later, there is a word that we use a lot in our society called karma. Karma is not really a Christian idea, it's a Hindu idea, but it kind of means what goes around comes around. That's a phrase we use. And I believe there is a Christian karma in that as we do the works of God, as we treat people the way God would have us treat, as we honor Him with our lives, good things come to us. Unexplicable, don't know why, can't look forward to them. They just happen. Little things, especially if you'll pay attention to the good moments in life, you'll see times that things just fall in your lap and do well. The inverse is true. If you do not honor God, if you do not treat people well, it seems like life is hard for you. So there there seems to be that evidence, and that's what Jesus is talking. He, he says there is a balance. If you're judgmental, you're going to be judged. And the measure them out that you do that, it's going to come back on you. And it ties in also with that scripture Jesus said that those who so sparingly shall reap sparingly. And of course, we know that that refers to planting seed. And it's easy to understand if, if you've got a big field and you just throw a few seed down, you're not going to get many crops. If you sow them as closely as you can, appropriately, not overseeding, you're going to get a more bountiful crop. But Jesus isn't trying to teach us to be farmers in that. He's trying to teach us that the same holds true in all areas of our life. That 
if we sow the word of Jesus Christ to people, if we tell more people about Jesus Christ, if we're better about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, we're going to see a bountiful harvest of people coming to know Christ. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, how shall they know unless they hear? And who is supposed to tell them? We are. Who has the message? We do. Sheep beget sheep. And there's so many other things. If we have a giving, generous spirit in our life and we sow that generously, it comes back to us. Over and over again, that scripture, those who sow sparingly shall reap sparingly, come true. And that's what Jesus, part of what he's talking about here. Now we're going to jump further over in the chapter to verse 15 where Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does bear good fruit does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. We hear that phrase, it's perhaps thrown in our face a lot of times, or we may have uttered it. Don't judge me. Meaning, we don't want people to make a comment, or we really, when we say that, we don't mind if they judge us to good, we know that they're disagreeing with us, and we don't want to hear their disagreement. We don't want to hear them telling us that we're doing wrong. And so we'll throw that out there. Don't judge me. But in that, we really don't have the right understanding of that phrase. And I, I was, as I was getting ready to get up, I thought of several illustrations. One of them was the game of gossip where you sit in a group and one person whispers a phrase to the next one and it goes around and then at the end, the last person reveals what they understood and you compare it to what was first said and it's always hilarious results of how that phrase, or in real life, that rumor got changed to mean something different. Same thing happens with Jesus. He said some things and they're misunderstood. The other one I thought about is those... Uh, little stories, articles you've seen about misunderstood lyrics to songs. And the one that came to mind is uh, Credence Clearwater Revival, There's a Bad Moon on the Rise, of how many people thought it's saying there's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> you've probably done that. The words don't quite come and your mind makes up new meanings. So we need to understand what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is always talking about the heart. That's where he takes it. And the heart reveals, the body reveals, what we do outwardly reveals the heart. So Jesus, we have here is that, that contrast. On one hand, he starts out very clearly, judge not lest you be judged. And then in chapter 15, he's warning against false prophets, meaning they're doing something wrong. They're not preaching the word correctly. They're not living their life. And Jesus 
did this several times where he called out the wronging people. He called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. That's not exactly a positive, uplifting statement. And that is very much a statement assessing what they're doing, how they're doing. To the woman called in adultery, Jesus showed mercy, but he didn't say what she was doing was right. He knew the hypocrisy of those that brought her, wanting him to stone her or decree that she be stoned. When they left, he addresses her. Where are your accusers? They're gone, Lord. And then what does he say? Words of mercy, he says to us. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that word condemn Jesus uses there is the root of where Jesus is saying, judge not lest you be judged. When you get into the Greek etymology of the word and and what it means, it means to consign somebody to a punishment, perhaps even to death. It means describing them as worthless to say they don't merit God's love and so they are only deserving of hell. And that is a judgment that we do not possess. We cannot assign somebody to a life eternally apart from God. That's not within our authority or purview, but that's what that kind of judging is talking about. It's talking about saying someone is so worthless, so corrupt, so perverse, that they're not worthy of being loved, being allowed to change, being able to eventually see heaven. I had the opportunity, the wonderful opportunity, always lifts my day of being with Anne-Marie and the other ladies at Twin Oaks this Wednesday. And there's one lady there that obviously it's on her heart. She spoke up this Wednesday talking about her brother. All his life her brother had refused Jesus Christ. And she was telling the story of how she's told him time and again of his need to be saved. And even there in his deathbed, she was saying, you know, receive his salvation, call on the name of the Lord. And she said right before he died, he, he says he did, he received Jesus Christ as a Savior. And her question about every time I see her is, do you think that was real? I believe, I have to accept it's real. And part of that is because it's not my call of whether it was a genuine plea of needing salvation. God knows. We are to proclaim the word. We're to do that more than we're doing it. We are to tell people of Jesus Christ. We are to tell those who we like, who we think are living good lives, who we think God would love to have in his kingdom, and we would love to have in our church. And we are to tell those that bother us, that we don't like, that we may not want to sit next to in church. First Peter writes, For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might have eternal life. God loves each and every one. They, they start out in life the having chosen to go to hell because they've rejected Jesus as Savior. God has done everything possible for them to know Him as Lord and Savior. It's a free gift. It's available. 
as they continue to reject him, they choose their eternal nature. But it isn't God's desire that they go to eternal death. God wants each and every person, no matter how reprobate, no matter how vile, no matter how terrible in our books and his, to come to a saving, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I need to accept that. But Jesus kind of says, don't be a fool. You shall know their heart by their fruit. That's what he's talking about in, chap in verses 15 through 20. That we are to discern. We are to judge. We are to prove. And that's a different Greek word that means those different ones that I've said. To, to discern right and wrong. We are to recognize it. We are to stand up against wrong. Jesus was a champion of justice. He stood up for the poor downtrodden of his day against the elite, against those who would take advantage of them. And he condemned the elite for their actions. And he showed mercy and grace towards the downtrodden. And he even said that those downtrodden are going to precede the elite in heaven. Because in their state, they realize their need and they acknowledge God in their lives. Whereas the others are arrogant and proud, going through the motions. Jesus stood up for that injustice. He discerned what was wrong in different ones' lives. He discerned what was wrong in his disciples' lives. When Peter uh, spoke out so many times... One where Jesus was saying that he needed to go to the cross and it was going to happen. And Peter said, may it not be so. And Jesus said, what to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. That's a pretty rough pronouncement. He discerned that Peter wasn't fully grasping the truth of what needed to happen and what Jesus was saying. And he didn't condemn Peter to never follow him again to, to eternal death. He, he pointed out that's wrong thinking, and then he continued to teach Peter. And Peter became one of the great apostles. And so we have this two phrases, and it's a problem in our English language, and we talk about the different meanings of love in the Greek language. And if you've studied a, a, a language, Spanish, French, I don't care what it is, German, Swahili, you know that there is a struggle doing a transliteration of exact words. You often have to talk about the meaning. And I've shared with you before, my, my wife Sue, who grew up in Kenya, learned Swahili. When people are having a bad day, she'll often say, I'm sorry. And they'll say, you didn't do anything. And then she'll usually, if she has time, explain that in Kenya they have a phrase called polisana, that really means, I'm sorry this has happened to you. It's not taking the blame for it. It's regret that you're going through this problem. And, but we say, I'm sorry, but we don't mean, I'm sorry, confessing that I did wrong. We mean, I'm sorry you're going through this trouble. So those words, those semantics are difficult, and we need to understand that in the light of this judging. Jesus is saying do not condemn somebody as worthless and worthy only of hell, separation from God. 
but discern the fruit in their lives. Look and see if their lives are bearing out what they profess. And friends, I have to tell you, everybody outside these walls and inside, but I mean all those unchurched people are watching. They're seeing, does our verbiage reflect a heart sold out to God? Do our actions show kindness towards others? Do they show that we will put self down so another can be raised up? A lot of times they know the teachings as good or better than we do. And they're checking to see, they're watching silently. This person who claims to know Jesus Christ, are they living what Jesus Christ said they should live? And they know. Our scripture for today was out of Philippians 1.9, and there the Apostle Paul writes, This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the days of Christ. To be able to discern right and wrong, you've got to know right and wrong. And the best way to know right is to know God's Word. That's one reason to read it, to get immersed in it. Because so often, almost always in life, when something comes up that you're challenged with, you don't have time to say, wait a minute, let me go consult what God says and research it. You need to know it. And I am told that federal workers, especially in the FBI that deal with counterfeit money, They don't study the counterfeit money. They study the real money. Because if they know a real bill of currency, they know it intimately. When they see a wrong one, it stands out. It's immediately. So you don't spend your life learning the wrong. You spend your life learning the right, learning the author, learning the perfecter of our faith, so that when you are faced with wrong, there's not a question. My children uh, used to tell me about friends would try to encourage them to do something. They'd say, ask your dad, let him let 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 you do it. He won't do it. Just just ask him, just see, maybe he'll change. No, (laughs) he's not going to do it. They knew what their dad believed and stood for. They didn't have to come ask me, Dad, can I do this activity? They knew. Part of that is not just because they lived with me, but we have to verbalize that to them. We, have to, we can't believe they can get everything by osmosis. We have to teach. We have to train. So we have to discern right and wrong, and to do that, we have to know right and wrong. And the best example is God's Word. This is what the Almighty Creator provided for us through 40 different people over 400 years, inspired by the same person. It interacts, it links like no other book could because it has a central author, God Himself. And even though He said different things to different people, it meshes together in truth because it came from one source. And that is so powerful, that is so necessary And so we have those scripture that Paul gave to to Timothy. He met Timothy on a a mission journey. 
He found Timothy to be a believer in Jesus Christ, reared by his mother and grandmother who taught him the Scripture, taught him the ways, and Paul took him under his wing. And he said to Timothy, as written in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is the written Word of God. It's all inspired. And as soon... It's an all or nothing thing, folks. As soon as I go in, I say, well, he, he doesn't mean that. Then none of it's true. You see, it all has to be true or none of it's true. Now, it may be, obviously, I don't understand that, but that doesn't make the text wrong. It means I don't have understanding. And I need to know my Creator. I need to know the author better. I need to grow deeper in my thought. As we've talked about Jesus here and all of His teachings, would talk... Jesus was, this is an understanding, he was such a powerful teacher. He would give an example that anybody could understand. He who sows sparingly, he who throws seed in the ground, if you don't throw enough down, you're not going to get a big harvest. Everybody can understand that concept. But that's not what Jesus is really talking about. He's not talking about sowing seed. And all through this time, Jesus is talking about the heart. Just like when he said, it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that if anyone lust in his heart, he has committed adultery. So Jesus is trying to get us to those deeper issues to get us to see. And that's what he's saying here as well about judging and discerning. Go beyond the surface. And if something seems wrong to you, don't assume the Creator's wrong. God don't make no mistakes. I shared that with you last week. Just take the understanding that I'm limited in my knowledge. Lord, open it to me. Read it. Pray. Meditate on it. Bring it up over and over again. And let the Lord work that in your life. All Scripture is God-breathed. God imputed His Word to the people. He told them what to write. He impressed them what to say. They weren't writing their own book. They were writing what the author said to put down. And it's useful to go on. This isn't a book of fiction. There are some wonderful stories in here that I love to read. But it's, a, it's often been called history, his story. From beginning to end, God has meshed this together to tell us we need a Savior. And we need to let that Savior be Lord of our life. And if we do, there's a reward waiting for us better than we can ask or think. So it's useful. It's God-breathed to teach us. It's not fiction. It's not just a, a word of, for entertainment. And he goes on, it's useful for teaching. That is, to instruct us in the ways of God. There's a verse in Proverbs. I looked it up, but I didn't, I didn't pay attention to the reference. I wasn't going to share it. 
But Jesus, or not Jesus, God wrote in the book of Proverbs that whoever refuses instruction is stupid. <laughs> uh, the Bible cuts to the chase a lot of times. You need to learn. It's good for rebuking. That means to chastise with words. Ah, oh, Jesus is a sweetheart. He wouldn't say a crossword to anybody. Wrong. He points out the sin, and he'll point it out in your life. And sometimes he'll hit you right between the eyes like a, as good as a two-by-four. He stopped Paul on the street to Damascus and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Saul at the time is what his name was, later changed to Paul. And Saul said, who are you? And Jesus said, I am the God that you are crucifying, that you're rejecting. Jesus calls it as it is. And so this scripture is good for rebuking. And one reason, you may not want to read it, because as you do, you're going to know God saying, don't do that. You're doing wrong. It's for correction, to restore to a right state is the background of correction, to improve life or character. That's something that we should do for each other. It's certainly something we do as parents with our children. It's not fun to correct them. Uh, if you're a parent that enjoys that, then we need to get you help because it hurts to correct our children. We don't want to be that, but we want them to be strong adults who can stand independently, who can fend for themselves, and who, when we're not around, can be successful in life. But it takes correction. I was thinking this week about our youth, and uh, some of them are soccer players. And, and do very well at it. But I wanted to ask them, when you went out that first day, were you a star player? Was one day enough for the coach to say to you, okay, here's the boundaries, here's the rules, kick it this way, do that, and boom, they were it. No. Everyone in that kind of endeavor and in our endeavor in following God, it takes training takes repetition. It takes learning the rules over and over and practicing those rules. As these who play soccer do that on a week-to-week -week basis, and as they listen to their coach, they become very capable. But it's through work. They get hot, they get sweaty, they get tired. But they hone their skills and they train their body to turn their foot the right way, to keep their hands back, to do all those things. We need to be training in the word of righteousness to be effective athletes for our God. That takes correction. And it talks about being trained, and I've talked about training. And we have that verse in Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Training is not telling. You can tell something, to somebody, and most of us, it's in one ear, out the other, we forget it five minutes later. Training takes that repetition, like I talked about on the soccer team, or learning to shoot a gun, or even going fishing, I guess. I don't fish. <laughs> I'm no good at it. I hadn't trained myself in it. It takes time to learn the bad habits, to learn how to do it better, whatever you're doing. We know that. These are, these are not deep truths but somehow we don't apply them to following God. So we should be trained, and it says 
in righteousness. Righteousness is being like him. That's his goal, to be more and more like Christ, to more and more take on the ways of God. And then verse 17 finishes, why? So that the follower is equipped to follow and teach others according to God's will. See, we're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. If we absorb all this from God and we keep it to ourselves, we're being selfish, we're being stingy, we're being disobedient. Sheep beget sheep is how the old preacher wants to talk about. If you, want, if you raise cattle and you want more cattle, you don't go mix goat in with them, get cows. Cows beget cows, goats beget goats. Again, simple concept. Who begets Christians? Christians. The Holy Spirit is there to do the actual saving work, but the Word comes through His people, through Christians. And so, verse 17, we are trained so that the follower is equipped to follow and teach according to God's Word. To do that, we have to know His Word. We have to recognize wrong and evil around us and do what we can to try to correct it. That takes wisdom. That takes leadership by the Holy Spirit. If it's a, a person we can talk to, we need to suck it up and talk to them, even though they may hate us afterwards. But if we do not, if we see a problem, we do not do what we can to resolve it, we become complicit in them continuing in that problem. And so there, there's, a, there's a lot to being a Christian. It's easy to become one. The work is done. ABCs, accept, believe, confess. Then the work begins. To know Him, to follow Him. But the reward is out of this world, literally. I'm not making a pun. And so God is calling us to that don't judge others. Don't condemn them as worthless. Don't wish them to go to hell, to be apart from Christ. But we need to recognize wrong. We citizens of this country, this county, need to stand up and vote correctly according to how God would teach us. We need to have our say there. We need to write our different leaders, letting them know we think they've taken wrong measures, wrong actions to correct. We need to be involved in doing that as God leads, as we, as we are able to. And God will equip us to follow Him more and more and to teach others according to His will. It come to our time of invitation. Mark's going to come lead us in our closing hymn. Don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. I hope that He's solidly in your corner, you're solidly in Him, that you've accepted Him as Lord and Savior. I don't believe anybody can stop growing. I don't care if you're 89 years old. I don't care if you're 9 years old. There's more depth to learn and know about God, and I'm sure Neil would say amen to that. He is unexhaustible in wisdom and knowledge. So wherever you are today, maybe you need to let him know that. 
maybe you need to say, God, I've, I've been going my own way. I hadn't been listening. I hadn't been letting you equip me. I haven't been trying to grow. I've been satisfied with where I am. I'm thinking I'm a pretty good guy, Lord. Open me up. Reveal. If you've accepted Christ and never followed to testify that you've made that, we're here to receive you and to rejoice in that. So as we stand to sing, you respond to God as you need to. If that's coming forward and speaking with me or praying at the altar, do that. Don't let us hinder you. Don't let be timid to stand before your God and do what you need to do. If you are at peace with Him, to stand in your place, to not sing and talk to Him, do that. Follow as God leads.